every time I have an opportunity to show vulnerability, I show it as much as I can. And even to a point where I understand that it makes some people uncomfortable, but there's more to gain out of being vulnerable than not. As leaders, we need to be aware of how we carry ourselves. Are we unintentionally unapproachable? Are we masking reality to fit a version of who we think we should be? Or are we presenting with our authentic selves and leading in a way that makes our team members trust and relate to us? In a time when so many feel disconnected and even frustrated with leadership, one of the most powerful anecdotes to relational divide is also incredibly personally challenging. And of course, I'm talking about vulnerability. I'm Rebecca Corin, and this is Moments Move Us, a people-first podcast unlocking the power of meaningful moments by bringing you stories that inspire. Our guest for this episode is Syl Trepanier, the Senior Vice President and System Chief Nursing Officer at Providence. For years, Syl has fearlessly worked towards creating a safe culture that invites diversity of thought and elevates every single team member. Can you guess one of the cornerstones of his leadership style? You guessed it, vulnerability. In our conversation, you'll hear Syl share how this approach has opened doors to conversations and connection with aspiring leaders who otherwise may have seen his role as unattainable. Syl discusses how he recently opened up to his team, admitting his own personal struggles with anxiety. As he was sharing, he wondered if he had said too much, but he realized that sharing his story made it safe for others to do the same. What an amazing example of authentic people-first leadership. Throughout the conversation, you'll see Syl demonstrate over and over how leaning into vulnerability can turn uncertainty into opportunity. Let's jump in. Syl, thank you so much for joining me today on Moments Move Us. Thanks for having me. I have followed you for many years and some of your nursing leadership and some amazing things that you share on LinkedIn. And it's always been a place where I feel like I get a little insight into how you maybe see the world. And one of the things that always stood out to me is the beauty aspect of nature and how that inspires you. And I'd love us to maybe start today by talking a little bit about nature and how that might influence the way you lead. I love the question. You are correct that I'm very deliberate about finding a picture that I have in my and thousands of pictures that we take when we go on vacation or simply hike or take a walk. I am, in, I am inspired by nature. And quite frankly, I mean, nature fills me up in a way that I get re-energized. I get inspired by it. It allows me to be completely connected to who I really am. I think it's probably the best way that I can explain it. So I might be talking about the importance that everyone is, I just think of one posting that I did recently, that everyone is different that you and I think, we talk a lot about how you and I look different. We don't, I think, talk enough about the fact that you and I don't think the same way. And it's very important that we realize that whether you're a leader or not, in order to really fully see others and that for others to see you as who you are, you 
kind of have to understand that we are all very different. And for that one, I chose different starfish that were like different colors and different sizes. I don't always find the perfect picture necessarily for every post, but it's an interesting perception on your part. It's interesting also for me to hear you talk a little bit about like diversity of thought and how important that is, because I think as a culture, we're trained to sort of all get with the program. Like we're all doing the same thing. We're in class. We're all sitting the same way. We're turning in similar ways. And I think over time, of course, learning and education has really evolved, but then you get out into the workforce and you're again, kind of like, all right, you're part of this group now. This is the way that we do things. And one of the things that you've been, I think, really amazing at is maybe it's been done certain ways, but how do we rethink that? Can you share a little bit about how to promote like diversity of thinking in change in our industry, which is so slow to move? Yeah, no kidding. We don't have a lot of regulation, right? Exactly, right. <laughs> yeah, I'll start there. One way that I believe anyone can invite other perspective in the conversation is by being very deliberate and calling it out. A small example, I was just on a call at the end of last week, and I'm always troubled, and I always take a pause whenever we have a discussion and that everyone is on the same page or worse, no one's talking. That to me is, I always stop when that happens. I call it out. I go, silence is just not an option because I'm not going to assume that all of you agree because I know that some of you may not. And I want you to know that it's okay. I want to hear from you. And then I just start calling on people. Now, sometimes I don't I may not necessarily call on the right people. And the more we get to know each other, the more I might be able to identify folks who may not necessarily think like the same way that I just articulated it. And I know they might have a different opinion or they might want to approach this differently. And I invite them by calling them out and say, I want to hear from you. And then once I hear that, maybe we're all in the same train and I'm going to reiterate one more time. There has to be somebody on the call that feels differently. There has to be somebody in this room that doesn't agree with this. And I want you to know that I'm okay with it. I want to hear about it. I think that is one simple way to ensure that you invite all differences to come to the table. It makes me think about like the way we share opinions just generally. Like, I feel like that's something that, and I'm going to go back to my school analogy because I'm thinking about this. It's like one thing that would be great to be educated on is how to express a differing opinion in a way that's constructive <laughs> because I feel like there's a lot of emotions tied to a moment like that. And depending on your personality, it's almost like a fight or flight instead of something in the middle of how we share that. And I think what you're doing by kind of Socratic method, like calling on people, and I don't know if you know this, but I'm a law school graduate. And so that always freaked me out. But the truth is you invite people to talk in the room that may just not have had the courage or felt like that passion in the moment, but still they may have really great ideas. So I don't know how you feel about that, but I think about that, like how do we express ourselves in ways that are constructive, especially when it's a really hot topic? 
Because some people might be like holding back because they're like, I'm afraid if I say this, it's going to, it's going to sound really upset or I don't want to disagree with Zill. That's the thing, right? And that only comes with time. Trust needs to be present, right? In this space in order for people to feel comfortable. I do know that I'm very mindful that because of the position that I hold, that not everyone is going to feel comfortable saying something just because it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the job. So I'm clear about that. I'm sure you are, right? People, they're just team member around you that just because Rebecca is, oh my God, it's Rebecca, right? I'm going to straighten up here and (laughs) I'll make sure that I say what I'm supposed to be saying. That's just the nature of it. And the more people get to know us, the more you get to know them, the more we see, like literally see each other, the more likely we are, to be honest. And quite frankly, one best way that I also know how to do this is every time I have an opportunity to show vulnerability, I show it as much as I can. And even to a point where I understand that it makes some people uncomfortable, but there's more to gain out of being vulnerable than not. Can you share a time where you felt like that you were going to show vulnerability in an instance where maybe your initial thought might not have been to do it, but then you did it and what the result was? I was chatting with a group of 30-something aspiring nurse leaders, really not too long ago, actually. And we were talking about vulnerability and we were, I, I don't remember exactly how I got to this point, but somehow, somewhere, somehow, somewhere in the moment, I'm finding myself sharing with them that, that I once had a panic attack in an airplane. And as I say this out loud, I'm realizing I'm actually admitting (laughs) right here and now that I've had my moments. And yes, it does impact me as well. And I wasn't, you know, there was part of me that thought, gee, maybe still that's a little too much. It's a little too personal. But quite frankly, the reason why I was thinking this way was really because I was judging me, that all of a sudden I was admitting that, I mean, a panic attack is an anxiety disorder is like, it is what it is. So yeah, in the moment, I was not sure that I should have done it. But hindsight 2020, I realized that I did it as much for them as I did it for me. That's often what happens, right? Because you shared and that did something for your whole self. It put you in a very vulnerable situation, but also allowed people to connect with you in such a deeper way, what they would have been able to. And for them, it made it okay for whatever the challenges that they're experiencing. I'm curious about when you said that, how was that received? What happened? Well, everyone was extremely appreciative. I know they were surprised and it certainly allowed us to go much deeper in the conversation. I don't remember all the details, but part of the reason why we got there was around stress and the impact of stress. And when you don't really care for yourself as much as you need to, that you, you, you don't know what path this can take you on. And for me at that time in my life, I just was not recognizing how much stress I was under. And, you know, my God, Sil's been able to do this and that and whatever, and never had any issue and I can take it on. I'm strong. Yeah. And (laughs) like everybody else, 
there is so much that one can manage. So it left to them, and the conversation we had after that was then more people opened up, and more people realized how close they were themselves to be on the edge, and how it's important for them to recognize that, to call it out for themselves, so that they don't have the panic attack on the at thirty thousand foot in the air into a tube. Let me tell you. It's the worst place on the planet to be having a panic attack. I laugh about it now, but all that to say that it was a really good conversation. And it, you, you and I could have conversations with aspiring leaders about the importance of self-care and all of that, but it can be very academic. And we took the conversation out of that and made it real. And it was powerful. I just think about the gift that you gave them through sharing yourself like that. So like really, and even I think about our listeners now, most of our listeners are nursing, nurses, nursing leaders, healthcare professionals. And I think we do a lot of talk about well-being, and we're like, everybody needs to take care of themselves. You have to care for yourself before you can care for others. And just everybody in healthcare looks around the room. They're like, yeah, okay, keep talking. Like, I don't have time for that. I'm a caregiver in my job. I'm a caregiver in my home. I'm a caregiver in my family, like my extended family, in my neighbor group, like in my community. I mean, it is, it is a lot of lip service, I think, sometimes. And when you have someone in your life, like how you gave that gift to that group, when someone shares their experience, I think it really opens a door. I'll never forget, I was talking to my team about taking lunch breaks, like how important that is. And then on a call the next day, I'm like eating carrots at 3.30 in the afternoon. And I'm like, sorry guys, didn't have time to eat lunch. And I'm just like, you know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like you are telling people to take lunch and you're eating carrots at three in the afternoon and you're putting out this thing that like, you don't need lunch. That's not reality. And I need to take breaks too. And so it's that reflection experience where like you hear someone and then you feel an opening and you can like, it's like the door cracks and you just walk through it and you feel like, whoa, I didn't know this was on the other side. And I also think about doing this at scale and your role is so expansive. And in so many ways, I know you are just out there leading groups across the country. I know you're now representing, I believe you're representing the, is it the ninth district? Yeah. The region nine for now. Yes. First of all, congratulations. And I'm ex very excited for you and for all of AONL and nurses everywhere. You're out there leading. Like, how do you do this at scale? Like, how do you lead in this way beyond the inner person, like one-on-one -on -one moments? Because I think when people know you still and have the opportunity to talk to you, it's like an immediate sort of connection and people feel very comfortable. How do you do it when it's thousands of people across maybe all of Providence or across California nationally. What's the secret? Me, it's, I'm not quite sure if I'm going to answer your question here, but I'll start there. There's always an audience of one. So if I find myself in a group setting, it really doesn't matter the size of the organization, the size of the meeting, if you will, but I'll make a point of connecting, looking at you seeing you. I'll make a point that someone's going to see me in that audience. And I think the best way that maybe the secret sauce is by being fully present in the moment. We say being present it's, is important. And there's the clear physical presence. I'm here right now. The human 
being or have this uncanny capability of being physically present and emotionally or psychologically absent. <laughs> and no one might not know that. So being fully present, meaning physically, psychologically, and, and also understanding the circumstances that either I find myself in and then the audience finds themselves in. That, that's the beginning of the secret sauce right there. I also, there's, there is one thing that I do that I know is very much appreciated. It's a trick that I learned a few years ago. And I wish I would, I could tell exactly whose mentor said this to me. I know it's a mentor of mine, but somehow I just can't, it's been so long that I can't quite figure out exactly who it was. When I enter a group or a conversation, if there's a clear elephant in that room, I'll be the first one to call the elephant in the room. I think of that as a leader, when you come in and you acknowledge the issues uh, and you don't hide behind them. I know it sounds cliche, it sounds easy, but it's also much easier to figure out a speech or a conversation so that you don't get to it. I'm the other way around. I will like literally go right for it and call it out. I think that is also one way. And that's a little bit of that secret sauce as well, so that people feel that I'm, I'm connected with their reality. Like I understand what their reality is. Let's face it, in my role, it's very easy. It could be very easy for me to be ex completely disconnected to what's going on at the bedside completely. So to that end, I choose to be in our ministries and visit and chat with people and look around and, and experience what others are experiencing. When I get like a fraction, right? A nanosecond of what they live every day. But I make sure that I call out what I see so that they can, they can share with me whether I'm on the same planet as they are. It, you're reflecting their reality so that it doesn't feel like you're living on two different like planets, literally. Like you're, I think that's a really hard thing to do as a leader, I think. And it's also a really important thing. Because it's like, if you don't do that, then everyone's mind is so tangled up in that elephant, so to speak, they can't get to the next thing. When you think about being present, and I'm going to kind of com combine two of the things you shared. One of the things you just said is really showing up fully, like psychologically, full heart, physically. And then I'm also thinking about this piece around what frontline nurses are going through every day now. What do you recommend? for nurses today to be able to cup in to their presence and to be able to bring it to their work. And when I'm asking about presence, I'm thinking also about joy and how do we create an environment where people can show up fully present and access their joy in their work, especially for the frontline nurse who's been through just so much. And I think of frontline leaders as well. A lot of it has to do with how one chooses to see life. I'm constantly reminded that there is so much good in the world and I'm very grateful for that. Instead of focusing on what's bad, it's also important to see what's good. I'm reminded of a, an article I recently read in Harvard Business Review and the title of the article was Fear of the Unknown. And the authors actually said that uncertainty and opportunity are two sides of the same coin. Isn't it great? Think about that. Uncertainty and opportunity are two sides of the same coin. So one has to be deliberate about seeing the opportunity side of the coin. Now, 
I'm also realizing when you find yourself in a situation where you feel rightfully that everyone is controlling your environment and you are controlling nothing, it's hard, right? That has to be a horrible place to be. And I'll be the first one to admit I can be a bit of a control freak myself. So I get that. (laughs) And I also find that one, one of the many lessons that life gives you as you get older is you also learn to let go of certain things. You also learn that it's okay not to control everything. In fact, it's cool not to control everything. So there's a little bit of that too, that you have to figure out a way to recognize wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, that there are certain things that are just simply out of your control and you have to be okay with that. And you have to be okay with being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Heck, if there is one thing that the last two and a half years, it's going to be close to three years now. That's one thing that, that this world pandemic has taught me is how to be more comfortable being uncomfortable. So having said all of that, when I think about, so if I'm a practicing nurse in in an environment where I feel like everyone else is controlling everything and I can't control anything and I'm not happy about the situation, I mean, I would encourage that nurse to figure out there, there there, there is something that we control. There is always something that we control. What is that? So that you can latch onto this because in the moment, that's really what's needed. I'm also reminded of one of the many definitions of mindfulness, which is about that really nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever. If anyone out there is listening to us and has, like me, had a panic attack once in their life, whatever that looks like for you, one of the best things that one can latch onto is knowing that although in the moment it feels like it will never end, it's a God-awful moment. Here's the coolest thing. It does end. There is no such thing as a lifelong learning every moment of the day. I probably shouldn't say that because I'm not a behavioral health specialist. But from my readings, from my experience, I've noticed that nothing lasts forever. So it's a pressure relief valve of sorts to remind yourself that when you find yourself in the moment where it's not doesn't feel good, you don't really like it, just know that it's, it is going to end. But at the same time, it does happen for the good moments too. So what does that mean? That means that then you really need to embrace it while you're living it. So true. My grandmother passed away last year and we just had her unveiling, which is like a Jewish ceremony where the grave is, the headstone is revealed actually just yesterday. And one of the things that she always said was we have to celebrate every moment. And she meant that about literally everything. So she really knew how to celebrate. And I think about that in my everyday life, my personal life, and how if we celebrate those good moments, if we're grateful for them, if we really put our attention to them, I think they last a little bit longer. (laughs) They do. (laughs) They do. I would have loved to have met your grandmother. She was quite a woman between her hat wearing and bright red lipstick. She was the talk of the town at 90 years old. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. 
Hey, you know what? I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this right now, but there's probably one more thing that I, it's something you said about your grandmother that just triggered this. And I can't remember exactly which word you said. And I'm going to go back to your question about what would you suggest bedside nurses who are struggling right now. I would also say that let's also figure out a way. I'd invite every single, anyone to also find a way to be part of the solution. There is so many things that I could point fingers at right now and choose to point fingers at and choose to call out all the things that are wrong and just leave it there. If I did that, it just doesn't feel like it's productive. And, it, and I tie this back to the, to the initial conversation we had. Yes, it even means that maybe your solution may not necessarily be what I'm thinking about. It might be, they might be counterintuitive to what I'm thinking about. And we still need to engage in those conversations because we don't think the same way. And unless we chat, unless we show curiosity for one another, unless we respect one another's perspective, we're not going to get to a viable solution. And I know it's out there. There's no doubt in my mind. Yes. So I could not agree more than that. And it actually just reminded me because Sarah Blakely is one of my personal heroes and she had just posted a photo over the weekend and it was her drinking her coffee. And the coffee mug said, when things are falling apart, they may actually be falling into place. And I feel like Really, that resonates with what you were saying and this practice of impermanence, but also that moment where people can rally to the occasion and maybe say, I think we could do things a little differently here, or why don't we try it this way? And all of that innovation that really lives at the bedside, seeing that bubble to the surface in more ways is empowering. And I also think it creates a better sense of control because that's what you were sharing before. Everyone wants to feel in control of her destiny, his destiny. So when you look at the future of what's to come here for nursing, we have changed. This industry has changed faster than it ever would have as a result of the pandemic. What do you see for nursing? What is your vision for what's to come? I see an amazing opportunity for us to further demonstrate, one, our value proposition, but as equally important is an opportunity for us to recreate, redefine is the importance of nursing services in any equation. I think about where we are right now. It doesn't matter who you quote and what you read. It all leads to the same thing. And it's not a rosy picture. By 2025, some will quote you that in the United States alone will be 2.5 million nurses short. By 2030, the International Council of Nursing offered a 13 million nurse short worldwide. So all of that to say that it doesn't matter how good we are at hiring people. It doesn't matter how good we are at retaining people. We will never have enough nurses if we keep on doing things the way we've always done them. That actually excites me. 
this is an amazing opportunity for us to write the textbooks that are going to be read by the generation after on how we stood up and identified ways at which we responded to the signs of the times. I say responding to the signs of the times. This is really a borrowed sentence from our foundresses, the sisters, who have been at this for centuries. In one part of our organization, we're talking about the sisters of St. Joseph, the sisters of Orange, who initially came from France, like close to 300 years ago or more. And think about Think about all the things that the sisters have gone through. And then one, I always, I'm always reminded about their challenge to us that to always respond to the signs of times. And this is our time. This is it. For me, being a, a nurse, doesn't matter what I do as a nurse, this is it for me. This is my moment. This is the moment where I have an opportunity to inspire others to think that we should be doing things differently, to work differently, to really create an environment and, a, uh, and an expectation so that nurses find joy in their practice. Making sure that we ask nurses to do what they are trained and educated and are passionate about give up all the stuff that can be done by somebody else, delegate, let's elevate somebody else's practice so we can elevate. I'll be like, all boats will rise by us blowing this up. <laughs> let's blow it up and let's create something that we know together that nurses are going to be excited to do and they can leverage and everybody else around is going to be as equally excited. Imagine a world where nursing assistants and licensed practical nurses or vocational nurses, depending on which state you practice, imagine that we fully leverage those roles as we know them and allow them to do stuff that they can do today and we get out of our own way, right? We can only do this if we can get out of our own way so that we can then do the stuff that we're really mentioned to do now more than ever. So I actually get super excited about this opportunity. Here, here. What a call to action. I just feel so excited. Like think that one thing that you said earlier that you go towards the elephant and that is the elephant, what you just talked about, this huge shortage that we're approaching. One of the things that I think you also did and just now is you help mobilize people so that they can start to take their destinies into their own hands. And that's what's really exciting about healthcare. Like now this transformative moment that you're talking about, this is the time when we can make change. There's no five years down the road. There's right now, and there's never been a more optimal time to, to actually take steps. And so I think I, I'm just so excited for what's to come. And I agree with you, Syl, that the time is now and our amazing nurses that are out there today are the people who can really make it happen. Love that. There is a Karen Jones who is a 
filmmaker. I hope I'm going to say this right. There's a quote of hers out there, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but it's something like, we simply cannot make it without nurses. Bottom line. We know that. Now, with that comes a lot of responsibilities. And I'm ready. Bring it on. Love that. So thank you. Oh, my goodness. Was there anything else so that you wanted to talk about on Moments Move Us before I transition to our speed round? I think we're good. All right. So that was so inspirational. And I am super pumped up as we go into our speed round for our conversation today. And I'm going to kick it off by asking you, obviously, one of the most passionate nurse leaders I've ever met, but I will ask this question anyway. If you weren't doing what you're doing and you were outside the industry, what would you be up to? I would be acting. Can you share a little bit more about that? Because I think a little birdie told me about your acting history. (laughs) When I was in prior to nursing school in my teens, I took acting classes, courses. I did a lot of community theater. I was really big into that in high school and then went to college, started nursing school. I still was doing a fair amount of acting at the time and all stage stuff, no camera, all live stuff. And all of a sudden I find myself, okay, do I want my life to be all about me or do I want my life to be helping others? It was not a really long, deliberate conversation with myself. It was like, no, I don't want my life to be all about me. Not that I'm saying, by the way, (laughs) that actors are all self-centered. It just felt to me at that age, at that time, that this is what my life was going to be if I was going to go down that path. So I thought, let's have the best of both worlds. Let's spend the majority of my working life figuring out a way to help others, i.e. becoming a nurse. And then when it's time for me to retire, then, hey, I could just go back to it. And it really doesn't matter whether I get the role or not. You're going to hit the stage, huh? As a second, I love it. Second career. You a musical theater person? No, I did one, was it one or two? Musical. Could I sing? Yeah. Can I carry a tune? Yes. I probably, I can do a few dance moves, but I'm not a dancer by any stretch of the imagination. And I probably couldn't carry a whole, uh, a whole musical either. It was more on the drama side, believe it or not. So what is your favorite fiction book? I don't read much, believe it or not. Most of what I read is work related. Or fiction story. Would you believe it if I told you that I'm a Trekkie? No, I wouldn't. (laughs) Now, I don't go to convention or anything like that, but I love the futuristic stuff. I can't wait to have my own replicator. And now that we have 3D printers, they seem that replicators are not that far-fetched. No, it's really not. (laughs) Give me a replicator. Give me a hollow deck and a tricorder, right? So that we can analyze everything that's going on in the human body. And I'm set. I'm good to go. Oh my gosh. I'm loving this. this I did not know this about you, so, And I really enjoyed learning that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right. All right. And final question of the speed round. Where can you be found on a Sunday afternoon? You could find me up on a mountain, taking a hike, really taking it all in and getting regrounded and re-energized for the week. That's a likely place you're going to find me. We talked about you being a nature enthusiast. Do you take photos as well? Are you an amateur photographer? 
No, I'm not an amateur photographer by any stretch of the imagination. I do have my phone with me all the time. So if I see something that inspires me, I'll take a picture of it. But I'm not, I'm not a photographer by The nice thing about the new iPhone is that really we all have become photographers. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sil. Oh, and actually I'll ask you one final question. What would you say your superpower is? My superpower is or that I would like to have? I think you can say both or answer either way. If I, I would love to fly, that would be my superpower. I would just love to fly because you can go anywhere. You can see everything from above. That just like inspires me. I love that. It's definitely my favorite dream to have when I'm flying during sleep. And then I wake up and I realize, but there's always the next night. Thank you so much. So this was such a pleasure. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for having me. Let your vulnerabilities guide deeper and more authentic connection with those around you. I'm Rebecca Corin. Thanks for listening to Moments Move Us. Remember, when you put people first, your actions can move others in unexpected ways. Be sure to follow wherever you get your audio.